0: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, David Nicol, consultant, neurologist, and human rights activist. David, I may cry (laughs) after those things. That was just incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, You may wonder why a consultant neurologist uh, from Birmingham, who's got subspecial interest in Parkinson's, movement disorders, is gonna talk about injustice? That's a good question, and you should keep asking it. I will explain. um, I haven't got a book to sell, I haven't got a comedy tour to promote, but I have got a story to tell. Uh, In fact, I was thinking about this. um, Well, two things, actually the poems that was being told, uh, read earlier, I was thinking. I've never written a poem, but I did write. a Guantanamo address, which was the precise length of the Gettysburg Address. Now, anyone who knows anything about American history you know, knows that the Gettysburg Address is 272 words. The Guardian published it. What did the editors do? He edited it. <laughs> the bastard. <laughs> so, a, a curse on editors. Um, but the other thing I was gonna say, this talk, I, I, I really enjoyed Phil Hammond's talk about clangers. This is extreme clanging. Um, I'm gonna take you into extreme clanging. And I was thinking about the concept of wonder and injustice. And as I say, I haven't written a book, but I think I should write one. And if, if, if I was trying to think of a title, maybe it would be this, The Wonder of Badness. Because uh, in a way, that's what this talk is about. And um, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, I'll, there'll be other material as well. But uh, I, I teach a um, medical ethics course uh, with students in Birmingham. And I do this a little icebreaker. You can be relieved, I'm not going to ask you the same question. But I ask them, who do you hate, okay? Does it get the same reaction? Everyone feels a little bit uncomfortable, okay? They'll maybe mention, uh, you know, some mate that, or other, and then they move on to, you know, football teams. And then I push them a bit harder, and last month they said Donald Trump. Surprise, surprise. Um, And I push them a bit harder, well actually, you know, uh, if your sister had been raped, or, uh, you know, someone had been murdered by a terrorist, would you like them? Okay, that gets them thinking, and then I think, well actually, all of those people, our potential patients? Hmm, that gets some thinking. Because this talk I mentioned about badness is, in a way, is if you become aware of badness, what are you going to do about it? Now, either you can ignore it, or you can do something about it. Now, clearly, if I didn't do anything about it, this talk would be rather short. Um, think back to where you were in 9-11. I'm aware that some people in the room weren't even born when 9-11 happened. When I spoke to the medical students last month, they were seven when this happened. I'm never going to forget it, because, uh, I, was in, I was in Wales uh, with my daughter. Um, she'd uh, just taken the first few steps, and I remember driving in the car. My father and I said, "Listen to the radio now." Uh, and I remember being so angry, really angry, um, because I felt so pissed off that people had screwed up a memory I had of a perfect day a few years before, uh, when I met Oliver Sacks, um, you know, every neurologist's favourite hero, and um, I'd. Uh, Being on the Wind of the world 's restaurant in the Twin Towers, I just got a major grant application to do, look at parkinson 's genetics. So I was really pissed off that some guys had ruined that memory. And I think a lot of people felt angry that day, But equally I became very troubled at what happened next, and the whole uh, detention art trial, um, because it had failed. Uh, I grew up in Northern Ireland, and a detention art trial was a disaster. This is the only graph you're going to see probably this weekend. But actually, it shows the death rate from terrorism in Northern Ireland from the Troubles. What a wonderful euphemistic term. Um, And if you look at this period here between the Red Arrows, that's when we had detention without trial where people predominantly from one religious group, Catholic and Protestant, uh, were scooped up and held without charge. And as you can see, the rate of terrorism trebled during that period, Even during the hunger strikes uh, between the Green Arrows, uh, the the death rate didn't go up significantly. So I would argue that actually fighting uh, for the right to a fair trial is good for your health, because it reduces your risk of being blown up by a terrorist. Think about that and try and tell a politician. And I was thinking at that time how Mozambique, who's um, uh, from Birmingham, uh, was being held in Guantanamo. And he obviously had a very strong Muslim faith. At that particular time, I had a fairly strong Christian faith. And I did the usual middle class thing of write to my MP. Oops, let's go back a bit. Um, Wrote to my MP, got an answer back, and you could tell not much was going to happen. And uh, this was when I was about 40, midlife crisis. Let's get fit, do a bit of running. I don't know if you've ever seen um, Shindra's List and... uh, those of you who haven't, you can leave the room and go watch it, okay? But the entire film, one of Spielberg's greatest films, the entire film's in black and white, apart from The Girl in Pink. And you see it at the beginning and you see it at the end. And I thought, well, actually, having a white guy dressed in an orange jumpsuit running the London Marathon might send quite a strong visual message. Um, and like all these things, actually, the hardest step is trying to convince yourself it's a good idea. <laughs> but um, what was uh, interesting was the day before the marathon uh, was Amnesty arranged for me to go to Downing Street and I had to make that decision of do I dress like a normal doctor or do I dress in the uh, uniform I've got to run the London Marathon in. Uh, not surprisingly, given this was 2005, um, three weeks before the General election, I suspect Alistair Campbell did a Malcolm Tucker, no fucking way, um, and uh, we didn't get in, but I, which I wasn't surprised at me getting in, but I was really annoyed that no one would accept the letter from the families. And behind me were the the, the, uh, three families of British residents who were still being held in Guantanamo. Uh, And I got to know particularly Imani Degas, Imani Degas' sister in the middle. But perhaps of particular relevance in this story, is top right, is Saeed Siddiqui, who's the father-in-law of Shakarama. Because everyone else got released. You've got to remember... I'll I'll mention more about Shakarama in a bit. But Shakarama was... um, was ultimately held for nearly 14 years in Guantanamo, and only got released last year. We'll maybe talk about him later. I show this because, actually, this girl here is clearly exhibiting wonder, (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Wonder for two reasons. One, who the fuck is that nutter behind me? (laughs) Which is a reasonable question. But you need to know why she's wondering. And the reason she's wondering is for the past 25 miles, every mile, I've been singing Please Release Me by Eng- Engelbert Humperdinck, <laughs> which is funny the first time you hear it, but very <laughs> tedious when you've run 25 miles. And the other reason I showed this slide was within weeks. Um, this would be an illegal protest and I could be arrested under the Serious and Organised uh, Crime Act um, because it was an illegal protest. If you remember Brian Hall, the peace activist who was based there. So actually anyone in fancy dress during that period could be arrested by the police. Just think about that in terms of our right to demonstrate. And, but I also had a phone call that week from this man who's very instrumental in the story. Clive Stafford Smith is the legal director of Reprieve. I uh, also wrote a book called Injustice, I would recommend. Um, and uh, Clive Stafford Smith is British, but an American trained lawyer who's uh, campaigned on the death penalty and um, also acts for uh, many of the uh, certainly British citizens, British residents being held in Guantanamo. And he told me the most remarkable thing, which, and the question was, Dr. Nicol, where did you get shackles from? I said, well, they were plastic ones from queue." <laughs> so, well, the real ones are made in Birmingham. What? (laughs) Um, And the real ones were made by a company called Hyatts, um, literally, you know, three miles away from where I work. Um, And uh, I'm going to use the N-word here, because uh, they were known uh, to make, quotes, uh, uh, nigger collars for the slave trade 200 years ago. I was just shocked that a British company was complicit in what I would argue the 21st century slave trade. So the question was, having this information, what do I do about it? Well, this is what happened. I organised the first ever protest I've ever done in my life. I can honestly say I've never been so petrified in my life. I was sitting on, <laughs> sitting in a, uh, in a flatbed truck, which I'd never driven before, uh, with my son in the car seat, um, with Westlands Police at the end of the road, and a bunch of press. <sighs> and I think, what could go wrong? And with a bunch of people I've never met before. And in fact, I drove to the end of the road, And uh, the police went, Dr. Nicol, there's a motorbike here. Do you want us to move it? Thank you. (laughs) Um, The police were lovely. And, um, in fact, every picture tells a story. Because, in fact, most of these people are lawyers, believe it or not, uh, from reprieve. Uh, The man with the uh, hood on is actually Mark Thomas, who's a stand-up comedian. And the lady on the right is actually the Honourable Member for Sally Oak, Lynn Jones MP. Um, So, you know, respectable establishment. But... uh, Again, it's about having a conversation, because I then got to know Clive and Reprieve, and someone had to bring back the inflatable palm trees to Reprieve. And that was me, so I brought the inflatable palm trees back to Reprieve's office in London. And uh, basically, Clive then told me about what was happening in Guantanamo, that uh, hunger strikes were, were breaking out across Guantanamo, hundreds of prisoners were going on a hunger strike because they had been detained without charge. They had no idea what was going to happen to them. This was their only way of protesting their ongoing detention. Um, and although I was interested in um, what Clive was saying about the prisoners, I was much more interested in what the doctors were saying. Uh, and this was the affidavit from Dr. Edmondson, who's in the middle, who was the doctor in charge of uh, Guantanamo. And I was intrigued because it repeatedly kept saying the involuntary feeding was authorised to the lawful order of high Military Authority, well, that, frankly, didn't work at Nuremberg. Um, and also, this description of one of the patients who passed out due to hyperventilation. Now, I'm a neurologist. I have many patients that have nasogastric tubes. I can honestly say in my entire career, I've never seen anyone pass out. Clearly, to my mind, this was syncope in someone who was terrified, uh, who had not given informed consent. So I thought about this and thought, well, if I had a doctor that in my own hospital was acting in an unethical manner, what would I do about it? Well, I'd talk to them. Well, I couldn't do anything, but I could write Dr. Edmondson. So I wrote to Dr. Edmondson, and he wrote back. Uh, I suspect getting a letter from me, in Birmingham, he would be you know, more surprised, less surprised if you got a letter from Little Green Men in Mars. But he wrote back and essentially denied all the things that he'd written in his own affidavit, which is a little bit of a problem. Um, and you know, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm providing nutritional supplementation of voluntary basis to detainees who wish to protest their confinement by not taking oral nourishment, which is an amazing choice of words. Uh, so I sent his own affidavit. Not surprisingly, he didn't reply. But at that stage, I thought, actually, this is a freedom of speech issue. Um, and I was going to a neurology conference in uh, Sydney, and I was essentially coloring people in the conference. We need to write to a major US me- American medical journal and get this out. And cut a long story short, we submitted to the New England Journal of Medicine, who rejected the letter. But I was pissed off when I emailed the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine and said, it's a sad day when the census pen stretches from Camp X-Ray to Boston. Um, Contacted the Lancet, who published it in a a heartbeat. But also around that time, um, they decided to break the hunger strike. And they broke the hunger strike with this chair. I'm not making this up. If you go to restraintchair.com, you can get your own one. It's called. It's like a padded cell on wheels. It's designed by a sheriff in Iowa. Um, and it is not designed for breaking hunger strikes. And essentially, these ERF teams would come in, strap people in, and the number of people on a hunger strike dropped down to uh, single figures. So as I said, um, we uh, submitted a letter to the Lancet. Um, it was interesting as a Northern Irish Protestant having this letter in the Lancet when Sinn Féin put out a press release in support of the Lancet doctors <laughs> which uh, amuses my uh, relatives um, and uh, It had, you know, quite an impact. We had a, a, a very private, you know, late Oliver Saxon and others signed that letter uh, We could maybe in a discussion talk about the people who didn't sign the letter Um, But also around that time, I was thinking about uh, Phil's talk about Fuck It Fridays. Um, I had a Fuck It Friday moment when I was driving home from work. I was listening to the radio and there was some US spokesman talking about the humane treatment of the hunger strikes in Guantanamo. And I thought, this is rubbish. I know it's not true. Um, But I I thought, well, I've got the affidavit here of what they do. Uh, Why don't I show them what is actually done? Um, As I mentioned, I couldn't do this outside parliament because I'd be arrested but I could do it outside the American Embassy. Uh, so with one pint of Guinness and an asogastric tube and my mate Jenny, who you'll hear about more later, we, um, and I uh, promised my wife I would never do anything quite so stupid again. Uh, the other reason I mentioned this was that I can remember the uh, Metropolitan Police coming along and saying, Dr. Nichol, if you do that again, could you do it a little bit quieter? Because you're upsetting some of the children over in the park. <laughs> <laughs> kind of missed the point of protest. <laughs> um, but I, it was an incredibly stupid thing to do because if any of you who knew anything about hunger strikes and force feeding uh, and those of you who have the vote in the room will know about suffragettes. I know that Emmeline Pankhurst's uh, sister died whilst being force fed. Um, and uh, But it's also, you know, most doctors don't talk about torture, okay? You are more likely to get a campaign about hospital car parking, or why there isn't coffee in clinic, than uh, to talk about torture. But on the other hand, it's very interesting when you do put your head above the parapet, you have all sorts of interesting conversations. And one of these conversations was a colleague of mine, Charles Clark, who uh, sits on a Foreign Office Committee uh, for Human Rights. Essentially, if you get banged up in prison and have a medical problem, uh, they can help you if you're in that prison. And said that they'd never discuss Guantanamo. Time for a letter write to my MP, um, get a letter back from Jack Stroll saying no such committee existed. So I send him the Christmas party invite. And now i having a list of troublemaking doctors from that Lancet letter. We write to the Times, you get the idea. So it's basically name, shame and embarrass is quite a good technique. Anyway, going back to Shaker Armor, he's still being held. Okay, he's been cleared and that, that, this was all 2005, 2006 Yet he was actually cleared for release in 2008. Why was he being held? Well, I had two strong reasons to think he was being held. One, because on the 9th of June 2006, uh, three alleged suicide happened in Camp X-Ray, all in the same bay where Shakarama was held. Um, When the bodies got returned to the relatives, they couldn't tell whether they'd been strangled or whether they'd hung themselves, uh, because the body's been tampered with. Um, And in fact, the cells aren't high enough to hang yourself. so, there was strong circumstantial evidence that a witness to what happened was Shakur That's still not been clarified. And the other, perhaps more important reason, goes back to the Iraq War. Those of you who are old enough will remember uh, Colin Powell going to the United N- Nations and saying that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. We now know that is untrue, but that was based on the statement extracted through torture of Sheikh bin Alibi. Who's Sheikh bin Alibi? Well, Sheikh bin Alibi was a Libyan was in the same cell in Bagram Air Base as, Sh- as Shakaramur. So this goes quite big, OK? If I could go through the Chilcot report, you won't find Ben Alibi's name or Shakaramar's name anywhere within that. So I wanted to see Shakaramar back in the UK so he could present himself as a witness. Which then got me thinking, 2015, I'm 50. Time for a jog. Let's go back to London. But as you, those of you who do any running you know, you have to do a taper. And uh, about the week before, you need to do about an eight-mile run. I happen to be in Washington, DC for a neurology meeting. And uh, I mentioned this uh, because, sorry, I'll skip through a little bit, just for reasons of time. Uh, so April 2015, I don't know if any of you have been to Washington, DC? Beautiful place to run, OK? Interesting if you go in or an orange jumpsuit. Um, but if you start from Capitol Hill, go along past the Washington Memorial, um, and then pop up to see Abraham Lincoln, and then come back to the White House, do a couple of laps, that's eight miles. Okay? And while you're there, deliver a petition from Amnesty asking for Obama, because at the time it kind of felt that Obama was sending us around the houses, so it seemed only appropriate to run around his house, um, and deliver a petition from Amnesty saying, why don't you release Shakur Armour? But then things got even stranger in September last year when I got a phone call from Clive Stafford-Smith from Guantanamo saying that Shakur's coming home. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, amazing. Um, because then he said, "Actually, um, right, he's coming home and he wants to meet you. No pressure, okay? Um, and he wants you to sort out his medical treatment he'd back because basically he spent 14 years and he completely mistrusts the medical profession. We don't know when he's going to arrive. Can you sort it out? No pressure. Um, it was essentially like Benny Hill meets Spooks, um, because having put quite a lot of effort into trying to publicize the things as much as possible, and I'll have to go deep cover. Um, so I don't know if any of you have had any celebrity patients, but uh, my top tip is one, uh, think of a pseudonym um, so that uh, the reporters don't sell the story to the tabloid press. I don't know why we came up with a pseudonym uh, Philip Marlowe uh, we, uh, <laughs> but we did um, and in fact I can still remember the nurse going to take the bloods with the sticky saying Mr Marlowe and Shaka looking strangely <laughs> um, and this is a man who in 14 years I was the first doctor to call him by his name 14 years he'd been known as ISN 239 which is quite remarkable talking about her. Um, so he returned home in October last year and uh, it was very surreal, um, and it, I mean, all sorts of things were going through your head because you're thinking, um, uh, what happens if I don't like him? <laughs> but uh, uh, I have to say we're quite similar in that we're both a pain in the arse, um, which is probably what got him through. But I wouldn't, wouldn't like to think this is a, a one-trick pony because I think there are other cases which I'll skip through. Um, Clive also approached me about drugs being used for um, the death penalty, um, and uh, basically reprieve, uh, planned a campaign called the Stop Lethal Injection Project, where they were going to approach drug companies uh, that inadvertently were supplying drugs being used for execution in the US. Where this came to a head was that uh, Lumbeck were supplier of a, a barbiturate called pentobarbital. Now this was getting embarrassing, because I run a movement disorders course, who at that time, one of the sponsors was Lumbeck. Was I going to have Clive outside, lobbying outside my course? I had to do something, otherwise, you know, I'm going to have the crazy guys outside my course. Um, So we wrote a letter, uh, The Lancet, again. um, And I was actually on the way to the airport. We wanted this letter to come out when I was in Toronto for a neurology conference. And I was actually thinking, do Lumbeck know this letter is going to appear? Um, So I emailed our press office. When I arrived in Toronto, I had an email back saying, what do we do? So we'll do what we say in the letter, which is introduce a restricted distribution mechanism so that the drug won't be available in prisons. They did just that within three weeks. Um, And then, uh, I mean, reprieve are brilliant. Uh, They suggested I buy some shares in Limbeck, which I promptly did. And the next time pentobarbital was used for an execution, I took the state of Florida to court um, for abusing my share price uh, because this was impacting on my bank balance. Uh, It took the judge about as long as that to kick the case out of court, um, but it was all about putting the pressure on. Bodies. Well, I mention this. I'm fascinated by anatomy, and I think uh, we don't do enough post-mortems. Uh, and uh, I got interested in these exhibitions of uh, placinated body parts. Well, there was one in Birmingham 2009, and I was thinking of taking my kids to it, and then basically quickly looked on Google and realized that the same company, the exhibition in New York, um, they have disclaimers on the bodies saying we can't guarantee these bodies aren't from executed prisoners. and uh, They can't. And to cut a long story short, um, we introduced the Human Tissue Act as a direct result of the old Hay scandal. Okay? But in fact, if I was to take a fingernail out of your uh, body uh, without your consent, I would be committing a criminal offence. If, t- uh, if ISIS were to import a body of someone beheaded or whatever in Syria into this country and have a form written in Arabic, there is nothing in law to stop it. Crazy, but true. Um, So anyway, I went to the exhibition and said, I want to buy a ticket, if you can guarantee uh, that these bodies aren't from executed prisoners. And of course they couldn't, so it kept going on until they called the police. And I told the police, well actually this is a crime scene, you need to be investigating this. (laughs) And uh, they actually got uh, the DCI for the multiple murder team from the West Midlands, called me the following day, um, and said, I would love to look into this, but actually they've got a license from the HTA, there's nothing I can do. And finally, I just want to mention about the, way, the disturbing way in which healthcare is being criminalised. Um, this is really worrying if you're worried about patient safety, as I am. I mention this because just this week, uh, David Seller was a surgeon who got, uh, went to prison for 50, 15 months, um, but won his a pill, basically. Um, and there, it's a really complicated case, but essentially anyone who knows anything about error, a, this is a classic case of Swiss cheese, uh, multiple system problems, basically, but the CPS started to stick the blame on one person. He got convicted, went to prison for 15 months. Um, very troubling, and very troubling for, because I think the CPS are taking a much more aggressive view on other cases. Um, I mentioned I'm obsessed about clinical skills. Well, this is a cheap ophthalmoscope, okay? And I know, because I've done studies on this, that when neurology NAD gets written in the notes, it actually means not actually done, and that troubles me. Uh, so I've done quite a lot of effort to try and encourage my colleagues to examine the eyes. So I became very troubled when, I mean, it's a very tragic case of a child who dropped dead, um, but the last healthcare worker to see them was an optometrist four months before. There are lots of system problems, but a couple of long story short, she got convicted of gross negligence and manslaughter and got suspended sentence. Um, I am now having to redact patient safety talks I've given as a result of this case, because I would be worried the CPS might grab my computer, and try and convict some of the cases involved, even though they're in the public domain. So I'm going to hold there in terms of questions, but I want to just—I'm going to leave that up because um, bear in mind, President Assad is a doctor, <laughs> and so not all things in healthcare are good. And uh, I would encourage you to look at doctors under fire, um, because you know, just this weekend uh, we've had you know hospital. Bad things happen in the NHS, but I don't think any of us are going to get a barrel bomb on our hospitals or clinics this week. I'm happy to take questions.